you know that there is a time coming that mankind outside of Christ will perish? But God loved us so much, he never desired it to be so. And so he gave the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And so when we think about that scripture that says, now abide is faith, hope, and love, these three, the greatest of these is love. God's immeasurable, God's unconditional love that was poured out upon all of mankind. God, who is love, poured out his love upon us. This love I speak of is God's unconditional love that made a way for all of mankind to be saved. If you're here today and you're saved, I hope you're very, very thankful and that you're joyful, that you're excited about what God has done and what he will do. See, this gift was unmistakably the greatest gift that could ever be given. But it's important to take a moment to unwrap the gift. Anybody ever got a gift and you just didn't unwrap it? You just sat there and look at, looked at it? I remember a show with, uh, about Monk. Anybody watched Monk before? <laughs> Monk's wife gave him a gift before she passed away, and he didn't open it for like 15 years. There was a treasure in that gift, and he never unwrapped it. And so I know that's, that's not like you all. Nobody in here is like Monk, right? You're going to open that gift. And so over the next four weeks, I'd like us to just slowly open and unwrap the gift. Spend some time and really just meditate on it. That word, selah, to just meditate, reflect. Allow ourselves to see some deep truths about this immeasurable gift that God has given us. This gift, gift that was given for us that came to live with us, that is now given to us. And if we believe or accept God's gift, lives in us. So let's just take a moment, if you, want my, if you wouldn't mind, as we just meditate on a few questions here, as we think about uh, the theme, God's greatest gift. Why would God send such a special gift for us? Just think about that for a moment. And maybe the follow-up question would be, what was God trying to do for us? What was he trying to do through it all? See, what I'm reminded of and I think about is when someone gets a, is getting a gift for someone, when I go and try to look for a gift for Melissa, uh, I think all of us and most of us spend time thinking about what's the best gift that we could give for that person. We might spend a little bit of time thinking about the person themselves, what they like, what they need, what are the things that they're missing. And then we put a little bit of time or even as much time into the wrapping. Anybody here like to wrap? Like to kind of, and so we spend time 
putting it in the right package, preparing it. And maybe we even spend some time thinking about how they're going to look, react when we give it to them. Anybody been there? And so we spend this time all before actually giving the gift in preparation of presenting it at the right time, at the right place, maybe even the right setting. Some of you men here that's proposed to your wife, you had to get just the right place, location, time. that would bring across your heart's desire to give such a blessed gift to the one that you love. And so that statement there, those thoughts don't even compare to what the Lord was thinking about you and I. How much he loved us so much. And so I, I searched and I prayed and I asked the Lord to give me the right passage of scripture that would reflect that, that would give some of that picture. And so I believe that we see that in Isaiah, the 30th chapter, verse 18. Isaiah, the 30th chapter, verse 18. If you have your Bibles or your tablets or smartphones, I'd ask you to turn with me as we read our scripture reference for today. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. From the New King James Version, it reads, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. As we take a moment to just kind of unpack this particular passage, we understand that the Israelites have been going through a time of captivity and bondage, and Isaiah is one of the prophets that is speaking to the people and warning them to turn back to the Lord, to trust the Lord, that there is all of this calamity or these things that will come upon you because of disobedience, because of rebellion. And I believe that the Lord was thinking about the entire world that is being caught up in the brokenness of sin and the destruction of sin. And not just the entire world that was present that day, but the entire world that would be future to come. And so when these words were spoken by the prophet Isaiah, I believe there are a couple of things that we can grab from and, and, and can give us some great thought to reflect on. See, the great thought here is that God has the right time for help. He's a God of judgment, and that word judgment there, I mean, that, that word justice there means good judgment, that he understands exactly what we need. He understands exactly where we are. And he discern, discerns our moral condition and shapes his dealings with mankind according to our condition. And he 
is waiting. And his waiting is not passive, but is active. It's full of work to fit us to receive his grace at the appointed time and the appointed place. The very best gift that he could have for us. He gives and allows just the right medicine we need to heal and to fix all of our problems, all of our pains, all of our woes. Even whether it seems good or not so good, that he waits, he's active. We go through some things in life. We go through some struggles. We ask the question, why? Why me, God? Why am I going through all of this? Why did you let allow this to happen? He means it all for our good. To draw us to him. That we would seek him. That we would desire to, when he presents that gift, we would be ready to receive it. See, it says, Blessed all are all those who wait for him. Blessed are those who turn to him and trust him to be their God and he, his people. But I tell you, the significance of this passage is, is, is wrapped up in a dilemma that God had. That God had. See, there's a, this dilemma that's going on. See, and let me just explain it a little bit. If God punished man for his sin, man will die and go to hell. On the other hand, if God doesn't punish man for his sin, his justice will not be satisfied. Let me explain it a little bit farther so we can kind of just grab a little bit of what transpired or what God was thinking about. Because God's number one priority is to display his glory, his perfect righteousness. He created human beings in his image to reflect that glory. We see that in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. We're created in his image and his likeness. But because of our sin, we have fallen short of reflecting God's glory as we should. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the perfect righteousness. And it says, for the wages of sin, the punishment, the payment of sin is death. So for God to get his righteous judgment Justice, death. But God knows that if he was to punish, all mankind would be destroyed. Go to hell. See, even as we look at some of the scriptures that talk about wrath, it's important for us to look at it through the right lens. Romans 1, 18 an ESV version tells us this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So look at that passage very clearly, saints. It doesn't say the wrath of God is revealed upon mankind or on men, but on unrighteousness and ungodliness that unfortunately men do. But his wrath was, is never, was never intended to be on man, but always on that ungodliness and unrighteousness because he is righteous and holy. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth is being suppressed? The truth that you were created, that you were made in his image and his likeness, likeness, you were made to display his glory. The brightness of his glory. And it's kind of like tinted windows. Anybody got tinted windows or have tinted windows in their vehicle or seen it before? When you have those tinted windows, you can see that somebody is in that vehicle, right? But you can't see them fully and clearly. That's the way unrighteousness does. It suppresses the glory of God that was created in us. To be able to see his glory. God hates that. Because you were created for that very purpose. Shining lights of his righteousness. Look at John 3.36. It goes on to say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. See the emphasis on that. That reminds us that it was the wrath of God because of God's wrath upon unrighteousness and unholiness. It remains on him. Every human being that has not believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, has not trusted in Jesus. We know this because God spoke these very words to Adam and Eve. He said, at the moment you eat of it, you shall surely die. Wasn't his desire, wasn't his plan? But the moment they disobeyed, this suppressing of the truth began. It remains on everyone that has not trusted and received his gift. But it's so important that we talk about the solution. We hear the dilemma, we hear the problem. God's justice will be satisfied. God's desire that man wouldn't die and go to hell. God said he would become our substitute. See, it's important that we grab hold to that because sometimes we, we can get the wrong picture and we can think God is this mean and hard God. God became in our 
substitute. He would take the sin of mankind upon himself in the agony and blood. A righteous judgment and substitute for sin. He would judge righteousness. He would be the substitute. He would be the payment for that righteous judgment. See, we start, we see a little bit of the beginning of this spoken in Galatians 1.15. It says, therefore, God sent his son, Jesus, as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So let's back up a little bit. We talked about it being suppressed. Jesus Christ came into the world as the image of God. Just like we were created in the image of God with glory and we were fear fearfully and wonderfully made, Jesus came into the world as the image of God without sin, having not allowed himself to turn away from God. And so that no, no tenant windows, you could see the glory. He obeyed, and he obeyed, and he obeyed, even until death on the cross. Through Jesus' life of perfect obedience, his sacrificial, sacrificial death on the cross for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus begins to restore the fullness of God's image in us. So he has the fullness of the image. He was created in the image. Well, he was already created. Let me say it. He was born in the image of the invisible God. We were able to see his image. We were able to see the glory of God upon Jesus Christ. He was faithful and obedient all the way to death. And then he says, I give unto you. See, by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins, God is working for us to restore the radiance of his own glory shining in and through us. And at the moment you accepted Christ, truly believed it was restored. You still got this flesh on that dampens it for man to see it a little bit, but not for God. Do you know when God sees you, it's like radiant. It's just like his glory shines from you. It's beautiful. It's radiant. you've allowed Jesus to be the Lord of your life. So what does it mean for us? You heard Elder Jonathan use the word propitiation. 
See, that's a Christian word, a theological word that means satisfaction. Because God is a holy God. His anger and justice burns against sin. Not against you and I, but against sin. And he has sworn that sin will be punished. So the word propitiation carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction, specifically toward God. It satisfies God. And so there must be a satisfactory payment for sin. And so we see that coming to clear in Romans 3, 24, verse 25. Paul talks about it. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God hath set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in his blood. In other words, God established it. He put it in order. He predetermined the way. And Jesus Christ said it himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why? To declare his righteousness. For the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And God said, you know what? I want to bear it. I want to carry it. And Jesus spoke in the book of Luke and he said, I must suffer. He was saying that for God's plan and for all of mankind so that they wouldn't suffer. In direct terms, this passage of scripture means nobody deserves heaven. We all have earned separation from God, every single one of us. Because he's perfectly righteous. As a result of our own actions, we deserve death. You know what death really amounts to? It amounts to being totally separated from life. And life is God. So in place of our requirement to make payment or restitution for our sins, in order to make things right, someone else made the payment. See, in the areas of sin, this scripture says that Jesus is perpetuation, perpetuation for our sins. He is the substitute. He is the payment. He is the satisfactory judgment for our sins. And so we get to see something. We get to see the outworking of God's love. We get to see God pouring out himself for us. 
See, I, 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 I love the lesser known John 3.16, which is 1 John 3.16. It says this, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also ought to, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is how we know how much God loves us, how much he spent time preparing, getting it ready. See, the reality of it is, is God went through many hundreds and thousands of years trying to convince people that he loved them, that they needed him. And over and over and over again, we see how the sin had just came to steal, kill, and destroy. And God, in his anguish, said, my spirit shall not be long with man. So he started thinking about how can I draw him? How can I restore him? How can I save him? So he decided to send himself and God the Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. First John 2, 2, for he is perpetuation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Because again, God didn't want to pour out his wrath, desire to pour out his wrath on mankind. First Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And his wrath burned out on the cross. When his only son died for man's sins. And they wrote in scripture, this is love. No greater love than this than a man lay down his life. First John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I hope you've been convinced, because we've said the word over and over again, to substitute the acceptable payment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, God didn't stop there. God continues to operate for us. Just like the testimony we heard, 
believe most of us, if not all, could get up here and give a testimony of what God has done for you. How he's been for you and not against you. How he continues to wait for us. How he's patient, long-suffering. How he's active. He's not a passive God. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's always on the throne. And he continues to be for us and not against us. Maybe you've gone through some hard times. Maybe you've gone through a situation that you don't understand. And it seemed like God just let it happen. Do you know that God was right there? Holding you. Sustaining you. Keeping you. Because the devil's not playing. He wants to kill you. He wants to utterly destroy you to where it makes it so you didn't even exist. But God, in his immeasurable love for you and I, said not so. So remember in the beginning I talked about taking time to give the perfect gift at the right time, and wrap it just right. See, God has planned this out for all of us. He's planned it out. His desire is that none be lost. There will be some. There will be those that will turn, that will resist, that will violently turn away. The Bible says they'll be without excuse. Because God is making a way for you to come to him. That when he brings it before you, you've gone through so much, you've seen so much, You've resisted at times past. That something on the inside of you says, I need it. And either you accept it. I believe you gotta, you gotta jerk yourself. You gotta pull to resist. To receive from receiving it. Because God has slowly walked you, patiently waited, let you see some mess. One of the things God let me see was that I was not the captain of my soul, that I could not control everything. Because for a while I thought I was in control. And once I hit my knees so many times, I was like, wait a minute. came to the realization I had one foot in the grave and another one on the banana peel. 
And if I went around the wrong count corner or slipped or didn't watch, I, it was going to be over. But he caught me. And he presented it to me. See, he, 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 he saved me from a lot of close encounters. Can I get a witness? And then he said, would you receive the greatest? See, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Second Peter 3, 9. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Come to Jesus. He did it for you and I. He knew that not only that we were dead already in our trespasses and sins, but that it was going to kill us. And we would no longer have an opportunity for life. So because of his love for us, he was willing to sacrifice himself for us. And so let's be thankful. Let's give him praise. Let's never have a moment where we forget that very point, if it wasn't for God on our side, where would we be? He's a good, good God. And when you have that moment of saying, I don't understand, this seems hard, shake it off. Stir up the gift that's within you. Remind yourself of how good he is. For he loved you, he sent his only begotten son, the greatest gift, so that you wouldn't perish, so that I wouldn't perish, so that they wouldn't perish, so that none would perish, and that we all would come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ.